Hey everyone, and welcome back to Pucks and Pages. My name is Steven, that is my lovely wife Liberty. We're a married couple with different interests, and we try to bring each other into our hobbies by discussing the latest news in both books and sports. And today is everybody's favorite, other than mine it seems, the book episode. Look, you're just the odd one out here. Clearly. I mean, I like hockey, at least I have that in common with you. Like, every day that I look at the actual listeners that we have to the episodes, it makes me just wonder, maybe we should just make it a book podcast and then eliminate the sports podcast. But how will you get me into sports if we don't discuss sports? I will just force you to watch them like we used to. That sounds awful. Let's not do that. Okay. Similar to sports this week, there's not a ton of book news. So I thought I would actually start at the top by discussing watching the adaptation of The One by John Mars. It came to Netflix on Friday. I was going to say that this better be a thing we talk about because I know you were like so hyped about it and now I you're was not so, so excited. hyped about it. I had completely cleared my schedule for Friday. I had nothing, absolutely nothing to like do that day. Like she pre-took pictures for Instagram and like everything. Like I pre-worked out so I didn't have to work out on Friday. I pre-did chores so I wouldn't have to do them on Friday. So literally all I had to do was veg out and watch the show. And uh, it's not it. That's not it, fam. Because all of my favorite things about this book was about how weird and strange and subvertive it was. And that was completely removed from the show. I'm like, what is this? It's not even the same thing. Right. Like, it took the premise of take a DNA test, find your soulmate, and how corrupt the whole system was. And that was it. And everything else changed. And I'm like, why would you agree to let this be your book's show. I'm sure he's going to get people buying his book, but the people who love the show and then want to read the book are going to be so disappointed because it's not the same. Right. My favorite character, who we find out in his very first chapter is a serial killer, wasn't in it, but there was murder that happened. And I'm like, okay, sure. We also had a police officer... But she's the one who got the storyline about someone being in a car accident and that's their person. And they got rid of the person who actually had that narrative in the story. It was such a mess. It was such a mess. And I was so disappointed. And like watching the first episode, I noticed that a couple things were different. And I was just like, you know, they had to do something to make it more palatable to a wider audience. I get that. Okay, we'll see where it goes. By the last episode, I was ready to murder the writer of the show. That's, that's pretty uh, heavy-handed wording. <laughs> I like morally gray characters. I like a serial killer from this book. So, like, are we surprised that my feelings are this strong? No. And this violent? No. I wish this hadn't become a thing. Like, a lot of the times when you watch adaptations, you're like, it's not quite right, but whatever, I don't care. I actively dislike it so much that I wish this had never become a TV show. I'm sorry. Like, it ruined all the things I love. And I get that a lot of it's really dark and the humor's kind of twisted. And there were a couple of, like, really weird turns that wouldn't play well with a 2021 audience. And I get that. But I feel like you could have taken out the weird stuff and left the rest of it. And it would have been just as, like, dark and twisted and been more palatable for a wider audience but this was just so bad and like now i'm anxious about the shadow and bone one coming out next month because i plan on doing the same thing where i just 
marathon through it in a day and I'm like, do I want to watch this? Because Netflix is messed up pretty bad with this adaptation. I feel like you have to give it a chance. You can't take that away from it just because I just it's don't a different trust series. Netflix anymore. Yeah. Like their original stuff is pretty good, but like this adaptation was so wrong and so bad. Like I don't know that I trust them for adaptations anymore. I'm sorry to hear that. Ugh. <laughs> but as far as actual news and not just my feelings goes. <laughs> That's good. There is a new subscription box out, especially for children. It's called Just Like Me, and it is a subscription service that offers diverse children's books. Okay. It starts at $28 a month, and each box comes with two to three children's books, depending on age range and, like, thickness of the book and, you know, all that stuff. And the books feature characters of color and come with fun book swag for kids. But you can also age up through the boxes as your children get older. So I think the first age range is like zero to three and then like four to six or something. And then it ages up through like nine or ten. I can't remember. So if you have children, that's a good option. You know, for me, I don't know a lot about children's literature. So if I had a kid, maybe that would be good because then it would help me pick out books for kids that are appropriate for them at that age range because I have no clue. Yeah. Like, I remember at one point someone in your family asked me for recommendations for their grandkid and I was like, I liked Harry Potter when I was that age. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know what to tell you. I'm sorry. So that could be good. I also like that they're doing it featuring diverse characters because a lot of the times when people our age were growing up, they didn't see themselves in media or in books. And like, it's a good thing to have just so they know that like, you're normal. Yeah. You're a normal part of society. So. Exactly. But speaking of people who are not normal or normal parts of society, you had Ted Cruz. I was gonna say, why are you pointing at me for this? <laughs> I just thought you'd find it interesting. <laughs> who, he has been signing and selling copies of Green Eggs and Ham to raise money and, quote, fight back against the cancel culture mob. Oh, God. But, like, he hasn't specified where the money's going. Also, why are you signing a book you didn't write? Paying for more trips to Cancun. Right? (laughs) God. But also, this is not a book that has been canceled, quote-unquote canceled. Yeah. So, I don't know what this is really doing besides just helping the Dr. Seuss estate get more money. That's really all it's doing. Like, you have to understand that, like, the books that were being canceled were books that... Weren't popular to I've begin I've never with. read as a child. You've never read as a child. Let's just be honest. Most people have never read as a child. So it's like, why is everybody's panties in a bunch, I guess, is the best thing for me to say. Like, Well, it's because they read the headlines and don't go any further than that. And that's yeah. really the problem here. Because if they understood which books are being removed, it'd be like, well, I haven't heard of it, so that's fine. Yeah. And... The fact that he's using a popular Dr. Seuss book as his, like, method to do this is so messed up because, like, this wasn't one of the ones, so. Right. Also, I would never sign a book that I didn't write. I don't get that. Yeah, and it's like, of all things, why why that book to be signed? Like, it's not his own book. It's just a book, which is just, I it's don't know. It's also sure. the book that's been drug out the most for people to read from the government for some reason yeah and then 
something I thought you would be interested in is that Voyage Comics and Publishing, which is a Wisconsin-based publisher that specialized in Catholic-oriented entertainment. (laughs) Okay, so we're going down a weird road now. Is coming out with its first comic book series called Phantom Phoenix in May. This is set in Chicago during the 1920s. The comics cover a range of Chicago history, and the main comic book characters are Marduk Claver, a black homeless war veteran, and Josephine Wilson, a black Chicago police officer. And both of these characters were inspired by two real-life Chicago cops, Grace Wilson, who was the first black female police officer, and Alice Clement, who was the first woman in the department to become a detective. So, that's a thing. The Catholic part, like, it makes sense for where it's located, but it's also a little weird. It really doesn't make sense. So Catholicism as a whole isn't really big in the northern Midwest. We're predominantly Protestants up there. But Well, I was thinking of the Irish Catholics in Chicago. Yeah, and I don't know. I want to be supportive of it because it's a good plot. I just, I know that the way African Americans as a whole that were police officers in the 1920s, which there were very few of them in the city of Chicago, were treated pretty poorly. So if they cover that detail, then I think it's going to be very educational. Right. If they don't. Then... If they gloss over it and act like people had 2021 sensibilities in 1920, yeah. it's not quite right, yeah. I just, A, in the 1920s, Chicago was an extremely corrupt city. Like, yeah. like, people joke about it being corrupt now. Like, the stuff that is corrupt in the city now is behind closed doors. This was very much in people's faces. Out in the open, yeah. Yeah. People would, like, get legitimately murdered in the streets on a regular basis like that happens on the south side but that's gang violence there's a difference it's a very touch and go time in chicago and i just don't know that they're gonna interpret it properly i don't know we'd have to wait and see and i want to give them the benefit of the doubt and think that they're gonna do it properly in the way it should be done but the thing that i don't necessarily get along with is that it's a catholic publisher and they're like very family-oriented media, and I don't know how you could cover 1920s Chicago for two black main characters and it be family-friendly. It's it's a dark spot in history in Chicago. Let's just call it what it is. It's not... It's it's a weird choice. It, it could be done well or it could be done poorly. More than likely poorly, and, and that's the sad thing. Well, I'll give them the benefit of the doubt for the two of us. But that was really all the news for the week. There's not a ton going on with publishing. We're kicking up into a popular time for publishing certain books, like summary books, romance books are happening right now, but otherwise there's not a ton going on. Gotcha. There are things that are happening behind closed doors with people trying to get things into production and you have things that are filming or about to be released. So like there's nothing actually happening that's newsworthy, but things are happening with adaptations and things like that. Yeah. So I thought for this week's tag, I'd make up another one of those get to know the podcaster type tags because dear God is hard to come up with questions you can answer for books. Hopefully we'll be fixing that soon. We may... It's just going to take time. You just got to read things. Yeah. My first question is, if you had to change your name, what would you change it to? I've never really thought about this just because like it's <laughs> always been my name. Um, I've often thought about this because I don't like my first name. 
I think you have a beautiful first name, and I'm sorry that you think otherwise, but... Um, you try getting nicknames and people making up things for you when you're a kid, when kids are awful. Well, I'm Steven with a PH, so Stephanie was a regular one, if it makes you feel any better. So I literally have had teachers roll call me as Stephanie, even though it's clearly no letters after the end <laughs> in the name. So you don't want to change your name to Stephanie? I don't, like... I feel like the only thing I would do is probably change it to a V and just be Steven with a V just because it's so much easier to explain to people than be like, yeah, it's with a PH. However, like here in Texas, it seems like a lot of people are like, oh, so it's spelled with a PH before they even see it. And I'm like, that that's great. But like in California, it just like, I don't know, it was like a mind bender for most people to figure right. out. So for mine, I said Charlotte because I could be called Charlie. I like that nickname for a girl named Charlotte. I don't know why. I've just always liked that. Yeah. I don't know how I would react to a Charlotte in a relationship, but I guess, you know, if you're still you, I would still be attracted to you. Right. I would hope so. I hope my name isn't the only thing our marriage is predicated on. I just can't believe that, like, Liberty to Charlotte, that's a pretty extreme change. Yeah. Well, they're both longer names, I guess. I wouldn't want to be like an Anna or an Amy or something like that yeah it's too short like if i was like a bob or a john or something you'd be like uh what is a story that your family always tells about you i i feel like you put this question in just so that we could talk about it well that's how this tag works you ask a question you get an answer (laughs) yeah i i have one story pretty much as you know i do know i know this story and so it's it's about a statue of a cow in big bear that at one point we were driving up there i had been at work most of the day we were driving up to big bear and it's probably about like eight or nine o'clock or so so it's been a long day yeah and i had woken up from sleeping on the way up and i saw a cow that i'd never seen before i swore that it was moving and my mom was adamant about driving back to show me that it's a statue And it was. It was a ceramic cow in the middle of the mountains in Big Bear, right on the lake. For some reason. I don't know the story behind the cow and why it existed. I do know that it's no longer there, which is sad. Somebody has moved the cow. Well, Um, I don't think cows should be by the lake anyway, so. But every time um, Liberty gets the opportunity to see any kind of statue-related animal, it's like, it's not moving. I'm like, oh. (laughs) Thanks, sweetheart. Appreciate it. There's some good ones for you, and I'm kind of on the edge of which one I should share and then which one you're actually going to okay, share. Okay, well, here's the thing. There's about three. Originally, when I wrote up my notes, I could only think of two, but you reminded me of one the other day. But there's one that will never be mentioned on the podcast, and you know which one that is. Yes. The second one is that... I used to try to feed the VCR because it looked like a little mouth to me <laughs> when I was, I was really little. Yeah. And I say I fed VCRs because we had multiple in rotation. <laughs> My grandpa would have to fix one every time I fed it. So we had to keep more than one in the house. The VCRs were not like Elvis Presley. They did not appreciate your banana and peanut butter sandwiches. I don't think I ever fed it that. I said <laughs> items that I remember feeding it were actual food, but I don't think I ever a full-on sandwich like that crayons and money the money one wouldn't be that hard to fix you just open it up and take the money out right it's the food that can be a problem depending on what you put in there right crayons depend on if you tried to play something and if it got hot yeah 
But then you also reminded me that there's a story in my family of a phase of my life when I was little. Where you were prepared to drown? (laughs) So I always, anytime I fell in a body of water, would sit on the bottom with my arms up waiting for my mother to get me instead of knowing how to swim. So I did this on a lake one time when we were fishing. And I did it one time at the bottom of a pool that I can remember. And each time my mom would have to jump in fully clothed and get me because I'm little. I don't have a lot of lung capacity. And I also didn't know how to swim. Fun. But I would just sit there at the bottom of whatever it was waiting. Yeah. Arms up. Like, come save me. I'm drowning. (laughs) At least I wasn't falling into bodies of water and losing my mind. That's all I can think. If that's the victory you're, you're fighting for, I guess. Otherwise, I look like a suicidal three-year-old. Yeah, that's kind of what I got from it. (laughs) What do you hope never changes about your life at this moment? I said not a lot thanks to COVID. (laughs) One thing I hope that never changes? Gosh. I said I would love to always have a love for reading and have the time and energy to read at least a couple books every month. I would say... I hope the Blackhawks playing the way they do never changes currently because they're playing very well. Shy of like a couple games recently. but I hate to, to do this to you, but I should let you know that's not going to happen. Teams go through phases. Why do you have to ruin my hopes and dreams? I'm your wife. That's my job. No, it's not. <laughs> what is a movie or TV show you wish you could watch for the first time all over again? This is a hard one because... I feel like because I had childhood memories of, like, the Blues Brothers movies, Mm -hmm. that as an adult, I just, it brings me joy no matter what when I watch them. But I I feel like if I watched them again as an adult for the first time, I'd probably be like, eh. Right, yeah. So, I guess that. For me, I said Clue. I love that movie. I could watch it a thousand times. But I don't know that watching it for the first time again would change anything for you. I would just love it and experience that love and, like, laughing my butt off for 90 minutes all over again. It would be great. Because now I don't laugh at everything that happens. That's not true. You laugh at a lot of things still. Not everything. But I also said Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Yeah. I'd like to watch that again. I, I feel like for shows, I would probably go with, like, 24 just because I was an action nut when I was a kid. And I don't know that it would land the same, but I probably would still enjoy it. Right, yeah. What shows are you currently watching? Right now, I, that last week, restarted uh, watching The Walking Dead just because I want to catch up. I stopped watching in, like, the fourth season, so... Uh, I think there's like seven or eight, maybe nine now. So like you're really far behind. I'm I'm pretty far behind in it. But I just finished Longmire, which I actually really really enjoyed. Um, yeah. And honestly, if you're looking for like a show that's kind of CSI, but not like big city and actual plot. Is it like the actual law enforcement and like forensics, or is it just like a detective? It's more of like a detective thing. Oh, okay. Yeah. Which, it, it was good. It was really nice. It's about, like, a, a police station of, like, four police officers in rural Wyoming. So it's, like... I gotta tell you, they probably wouldn't do that great of a job at catching murderers. Because they don't have a lot of experience with that since they're in the middle of nowhere. I think you underestimate how many times people get angry with people in the middle of nowhere and they kill people. Well, one of us listens to a lot of true crime podcasts and some of us do not. And that's all I'll say about that. 
For me, I'm re-watching Revenge whenever I do an in-home workout. Like, it's sort of mindless because I've already seen it, so I don't have to pay a lot of attention, but it's also enjoyable enough that I can, if I'm having a hard time working out, have something to focus on. Yeah. We're re-watching Elementary very slowly. I'm, I'm not appreciating that. Well, you're watching it for the first time. I'm re-watching it with you. And then we're also re-watching Lie to Me when we also write podcast slowly. notes every week. Yes. And we started Marriage or Mortgage this past week on Netflix, which I... It's, it's our bad TV show it's to a watch bad when TV we're trying show. to just relax. Like, we're judging people for being dumb with their money and spending thousands of... Tens of thousands of dollars on Though weddings. Though don't turn that microscope on us, because I we, don't want you to judge me for that either. We barely spent anything in comparison to some of these weddings. That's true. Some of these were ridiculous, but I like watching it and being able to judge people, because I'm that person, apparently. <laughs> but I think that's all the TV I'm watching. I'm not watching a ton of stuff. Yeah. I mostly just read with my time now, because podcasts. Right. What is an experience that you would rate five out of five stars? And I'll give mine first. I said, for me, it's the first sip of a warm beverage or sleeping in your own bed after sleeping somewhere else for a few days. I would say going to like any opening game events, like first home games, I feel like are always really pumped up. We did that for Dallas in 2019. Yes. And then we also did it in Chicago. The Dallas one we did along time ago i don't know why i said 2019 it was 2015 we did for dallas yeah and then it was 2019 for chicago yeah and then i've done a lot of the home openers for the padres over the years i've done one for the dodgers i just feel like the atmosphere is just like it's a level of excitement that i think a lot of people don't get to experience normally in a sporting event just because everybody's like it's back this is gonna be the greatest so everybody's like super hyped up And it's not like a middle of the season when you're looking at, can we make it into the playoffs? Can we not? What are our expectations? And like, you don't have all that weighing on the sport experience. Yeah. List two of your pet peeves. One of my biggest ones is placing dishes in the sink when the dishwasher is empty. It's something you do and it drives me crazy. I didn't say pet peeves about me. I'm I'm saying though in general pet peeves like that is a pet peeve of mine. Like if if the dishwasher is empty it's like just rinse off your dish and put it in the dishwasher. It's not that complicated. And then I don't know like I think another one is I don't like when people are politician like to me. Like I, I would prefer that you just Tell me like it is. Yeah, yeah. Be Don't sit there and beat around the bush. Like, A, I don't want to waste my time listening to you try to lie to me when I know you're lying to me about something. I'd rather you just tell me, hey, this is what's going to happen. Right. And I'd be like, okay, cool, great. So that I can prepare for it, at least. That makes sense for Um, your personality. Yeah, I just, like, I think that's kind of a manager thing. Like, I don't like to do that to people. I'd rather just tell you the way it is. For two of mine, my first one is actually one that you did, but I trained out of you as we've lived together. So Oh, so you're giving me hell for picking on you, but you're going to pick on me. Maybe it's fair. So the first one is people leaving cabinets open. Like they open the cabinet to get something or put something in it and then just leave it open. And like, it doesn't matter how long it's open. If you've gone in or out of it and then just don't close it immediately, I'm like, what are you doing? It bothers me so much. Yeah, this is usually why I put dishes away while you're getting ready for the day because then I don't have to worry about it. Yeah. 
I can leave drawers and cabinets open while I put things away. But the second one is people acting inconsiderately. Like, all they're thinking about is themselves. It's like, whenever I go to serve up our dinner, I'll bring you a fork, knife, spoon, whatever you need. Because I was already in there getting it for me. Hmm. So, like, that's just my natural instinct. And I'll get upset if people don't think similarly to that. Like, if you're already in there doing something for yourself, why don't you also take two seconds to do the same for me? Yeah. And, like, in bigger things, too, not just those little things. But it's, like, think about someone other than yourself for two seconds. It's hard for some people. I guess. I believe those people are called narcissists. Oh, this is the question that I put in here that I told you my answer is going to come across really badly, but it's what I immediately thought of when I read the question. Okay. So I'm going to answer it first. Okay. The question is, what is the worst thing that can be put into a pinata? And I said body parts. Because that's immediately what I thought of when I saw this question. Um, Honestly, like vegetables, I feel like would be pretty bad because like you're expecting candy and then you're just like, why is there broccoli in this? Also, it would fall on the ground. That's pretty disgusting. Right. Not as bad as like an ear or something. But my other answer is toys. Okay. Like you would you would expect candy and now you have something to play with. I feel like that would be a great change. My sweet tooth does not agree with you. Yeah. For most children though, who are the ones that are normally opening pinatas, it's probably not a bad trade. Yeah. And then this question I found immediately after answering the previous one. So I decided to put it in here. What is your style of humor? I feel like I have a pretty wide range of humor enjoyment. Like, I like a lot of comedians that you don't like. Yeah. And, like, only because... It's what I would call boy humor sometimes with those comedians. Or just you don't like it, so you title it boy humor. (laughs) I, I think in general, like... I laugh at most funny things. Like, it's not hard to make me laugh. Like, if you say the right thing and the comedic timing is there, it's priceless. I said my style of humor when I'm making jokes and, like, the way my brain thinks things are funny is very dark and dry. Like, I have a very dry wit. Yeah. And so, like, that's why when I thought of body parts for the pinata question, I was like, that's the funniest thing I've ever come up with. And... And I laughed at that, so clearly it's the funny. comedic value is there. I am funny. The last question is, what is the weirdest wrong number or wrong text that you've received? Wrong number, phone call, or text. I feel like you have to get quite a few of those from your work. I really don't. I've definitely gotten a few texts over my managerial years where people are drunk texting me that are my employees. and That's a mistake. I, I don't think they're, they're meaning to send it to me for obvious reasons, but I don't know. I think like unknown texts that I've received. I've had people ask me, you know, to provide them drugs and I'm like, you definitely have the wrong number. Like I've never had that one. And, and so that one always used to make me laugh a little bit because I would just be like, you clearly have mistexted the number that you're trying to text. Yeah. Mine happened while we were dating long distance. I don't know if you will remember me talking to you about this happening, but some random guy called me on accident. And at that point in time, people were just out here answering their phones like crazy people. (laughs) But when I was trying to figure out what this guy wanted and what was happening, he just kept saying I had called him. 
Like, no, my phone rang. Yeah. I don't know what you're talking about. My phone rang, I picked it up, and I answered it. I most definitely was not dialing this random strange number. I was on the phone for a couple of minutes. I don't know why I didn't just hang up. Yeah. Life was so different in 2013. Facts. But that was my makeshift tag of sorts. It was fun. I'm I'm excited that down the line maybe we'll be doing some of these silly things with like authors and like sports stars or whatever. That would be fun. I, it would be interesting to get to learn I a feel little bit like about people that you wouldn't normally know. Certain authors would agree with me that body parts is the correct answer for the pinata question. Well, for creative writing reasons, yes, probably. It's funny. Yeah. It's just funny. Yeah. But as for what I've been reading, I technically did a good job because I only completed two things this week. Okay. I started a third, though. First, I read Bridge of Souls by Victoria Schwab. It was a new release for this month. It is the third and maybe final book in the Cassidy Blake series. Right. This is a middle grade fantasy, which I rated four stars. Pretty good, considering I'm not the target audience. audience. But this is the story of a girl traveling with her ghost hunter parents while they record their show, and she has to deal with the actual ghosts in these haunted locations. (laughs) And this one tied in a lot of stuff from the previous two books. And, you know, you had some moments where I was actually scared for Cassidy and her friends and worried about what might happen to her ghost friend in particular. And, you know, I think the book and Schwab's writing does a really good job of getting me invested, even if it is a middle grade book. That's good. Yeah. I know that you definitely are not the target audience as a usually YA reader for a middle grade book. I'm not even the target audience for YA anymore. I've gotten old. Yeah. But it was really good. I hope it's not the last, but Goodreads doesn't have anything for after this book. So I don't know. Maybe some contract changes that'll be coming up. Possibly. Yeah. And then I read Mockingjay by Suzanne Collins. This is a backlist from 2010. Reading it because you're reading it. This is the third and final book in the Hunger Games series, which is a YA dystopian series. Originally, when I read this, I rated it four stars. And basically, Katniss and all of Pan Am have to deal with the fallout from Catching Fire and deal with war in their country for the first time in the series. I think the thing that I really enjoy in this book, and it's the reason I probably enjoy this book more than the other ones, is the PTSD rep that's in here. And I'm sure you've noticed that, like, I've marked a lot of stuff in this book, and I normally don't mark my books. It's been a lot. Yeah. And, like, there were so many things that just, like, really ring true and hit home and I think that's probably the reason I enjoy this book so much more than it seems like the rest of the Hunger Games fans do. Right. But we will discuss the first half of this in the section talking about what you read later on. Yes, in the near future. But I also started King of Scars by Leigh Bardugo, which I'll talk in the next section about because technically I didn't finish it this week. You've always liked Bardugo as an author, so I'm really not too concerned about this one. Yeah, but what I plan on reading next is King of Scars by Lee Bardugo. It's a backlist from 2019. It's book number one in the Nikolai duology, but it's the third series in the Grishaverse. So technically it's book six or seven, depending on if you count Language of Thorns, which is like a fairy tale from this universe 
novella thing. But I'm rereading this before the next book comes out. It is... A lot of people will mark this as YA, but all the characters are 18 and over. So, adult fantasy? New Maybe adult it's fantasy? it's the way that it's kind of written, possibly? It's dense, so I don't think so. Yeah. But I said, a young king, his general, and his spy all work to keep Ravka afloat. Because I can't say more than that, because it gives away plot from the first two series. Gotcha. I will say that I'm, like, halfway through it right now, and... I'm enjoying it less than I anticipated, given what I rated it when I read it in 2019. I think part of that stems from the fact that I know something that happens at the end that I'm not a fan of. But I love Lee Bardugo's writing style. I like the humor. Specifically, I like Nikolai's humor because he has self-aggrandizing kind of humor. Like, he's always jokingly making himself bigger and better just for humor's sake. Yeah. And I really enjoy that. I also really like, there's this one really tough female character who doesn't apologize for being that way. And she just is who she is. And I really like that. I didn't like her up until this point. Like, until I reread this book now. So, I don't know why that's changed between the first reading and now, but it's kind of interesting. And then the next book I plan on reading is way smaller, and it's Artificial Condition by Martha Wells. It's a novella, so it's way shorter. It's a backlist from 2018, and this is book number two in the Murderbot Diaries. Again, I'm rereading that whole series before the next one comes out. Right. It's an adult sci-fi, and basically we see Murderbot continue to do their thing and wishing they were watching their TV shows instead. It's just, it's a really humorous series, and I love Murderbot, and I love all the people he ends up helping along his journey. Right. And then I'm going to start and maybe finish, depending on how long King of Scars takes to finish, Rogue Untouched by Alyssa K. Whitney, I think is how you say that. It's a NetGalley arc and part of the Marvel Heroines series. It releases on May 4th. And basically, this is Rogue's origin story in a novelization form. So, may the fourth be with you. Wrong series. I know, but still the right date. True. But apparently, this is going to be different from the X-Men movies and comics. So, I don't know what kind of changes are made in the novelization. It'd be a cool one to read, though. Rogue is an interesting character. She was always one of my favorite X-Men. So, like, I think I'll enjoy it, but we'll see. But as for what you've been reading, like we said earlier, you read half of Mockingjay. Yeah, things are happening. It's about time. I still felt like there were definitely some very slow, dreary moments going on at the same time, though. Like, you you got a taste of the war when they were in, what, District 8, I believe? Yes. And so, like, it kind of gave you, like, a little, here, taste some of this. And you're just like, oh. Well, I don't think this is going to be as action-y as you want this book to be. Right. And so I think you're going to struggle through this one more than the other two because it isn't just fully action-based. I think the back half will be better than the front half for you as far as that goes, but it's not a super action-y front half of the book. Yeah, which has me looking forward to the back half. (laughs) I actually prefer the first half of the book for myself. I think the character development that existed, though, in the first half of the book was 
important. You really had to understand the mental stuff that was going on with Katniss and Finnick and Haymitch and like just really everybody. I mean, starting at the beginning, you find out that there have been less than 800 survivors coming out of District 12 after the bombing and they've relocated to District 13, which does exist. Yeah. And they've been isolated from everyone else as part of their agreement with the capital so that they don't go into this nuclear war. Right. You have all these displaced residents and everything and all the, I would almost call it trauma that comes with being through a situation like that and then being put into a completely different, far more sterile environment and being told, this is how you live now. No. Which... I mean, you could open up a discussion here about immigration and stuff like that, but we're not going to go there. But I think this is important for some people to understand trauma and PTSD and a lot of stuff that we try to just associate with, like, war veterans and don't seem to realize that... It can affect everyday people as well. It can affect a lot of other people and does affect a lot of other people. Yeah. For me, I felt really connected to Katniss in this one, partially because I have PTSD, but also because I also have chronic migraines and she gets a lot of aftermath effects from her concussions. Yeah. But you do have this part that she has to play. And I think there's a lot to be said about the fact that she is tired of everyone using her at this point. Yeah. The situation is she's kind of like excited for the fact that for once she's going to be able to kind of fight back against Snow in other ways, like more visual ways. The dilemma is she's still doing it for kind of an authoritarian style leader as it is for District 13. Yeah. For someone else. Doing it because someone else wants her, needs her to take this role. Yeah. It's a matter of which one's the worst evil for her, I feel like. She's constantly in that strife during this book. And a lot of this is more character-driven because Katniss's stuff that she's going through, everything the characters from District 12 are going through, but also she meets and gains relationships with people in 13, and that develops over time as well. Like, dare I say her friendship with Boggs, I think, is an interesting one, to say the least. Right. Yeah. Well, I think... Specifically that moment in District 8, he has to sort of make the decision of, is he going to let her sort of do her thing because that helps the Mockingjay effort? Or is he going to be on Coin's side and just make sure she does what she's supposed to be doing? Yeah, and not get hurt in the risk of it, yeah. I do like the setting for 13 a lot, despite the fact that if I lived there, I'd probably slit someone's throat. Because it's so sterile and there are so many rules. But I like all this underground stuff they have going on. And especially the... Basically where we see BT every time in special weapons and defense. Because it's like so cool. And like we haven't had anything like that. Very James Bondy is kind of what you're going for there, I guess. Kind of. Yeah. So I like that. And I like seeing how they try to be like sustainable as their own like isolated entity. Yeah. And then you also kind of see Gail come in and out a lot in this book. He's all over the place as a character in this book. Like, Well, 
you have to realize he's probably dealing with his own trauma that's not seen on the page because yeah. everything he went through getting people out of 12 during a bombing. But then he's also sort of dealing with the fact that he's been in love with this girl who is, to him, probably really wishy-washy about her feelings about him and about PETA. It's a coin flip on the day, it seems. And so, I don't know. I can understand for him why he's sort of just having a hard time. Right. And I can kind of agree with you there. Like, that would be frustrating. But you also see him kind of go down a bad streak a little bit to a T. I think when he starts getting more involved with like the war efforts, you see Gail kind of come a little darker, bad to the bone. Like the conversation that he has with BT about setting up a bomb to draw in people to blow them up. Like, yeah, yeah. and I was like, he's being a terrorist now. There's a difference. Like, I mean, that's effective, but like beyond being effective, that's like really dark and like kind of really awful. Yeah. And he also, I'm trying to remember if you've gone through what happens in two. No. Okay. That's just starting. So you'll get to it relatively soon, but there's some stuff with two and Gail that I'm like, maybe not. Maybe don't do that. Yeah. But that's for next week, apparently. And then speaking of the other half of the love interest, Pete is going through some stuff. Yeah, he, I think, is having the hardest time out of everyone. Because yeah. he is going through actual torture. Yeah, on a regular basis. As well, too, like, he just looks battered and more battered, I guess. Like, mentally just worn out, physically worn out. Every time they put him on a television broadcast to try to talk Katniss into a ceasefire. Right. Which isn't even Katniss's decision to make, which is the irony well, of it all. The thing is, they need their own mouthpiece to use for the Capitol, and he's the best one they have for it, given his status with the whole of the country after going through the games and his love with Katniss and everything. I personally just feel like what PETA went through isn't given enough credit. Like, for making it out alive, he's not given enough credit. I feel like he kind of gets some credit when, like, they get him back finally to District 13. Like, they realize, they, they explain, like, what he's more than likely been through. Right. Like, Plutarch Being... is like, hey, this is the type of torture they were probably using. And it's some deep, dark stuff. There's no question about it. Well, at this point, we're talking, like, a whole other level of brainwashing almost because he's been hijacked of his memories. Yeah. And so he's become a whole other person in the months that he's been tortured in the Capitol. And I feel like that's when Katniss's mental health takes a sharp decline. Yeah. Because she's always sort of taken it for granted that PETA sees the best in her and loves her for it. But also, even for the things that aren't necessarily her best personality traits, he still loves her for. Right. But I think... This is a bigger story than just, like, a love triangle situation because you have all of these, like I said, immigration issues that we're not getting into and then issues about tyrannical leaders and people being used for their benefit. Right. And then you have the whole concept of war as an overlying theme for this book because you're seeing the fallout as the story goes on of what every decision made has brought down upon causes yeah and what the effect is for those decisions and like 
I feel like similar to Katniss, like every atrocity that you see, the reader is just shocked at how bad it can be. And, like, specifically when they go to District 8 and they're just recording her in the hospital and suddenly there's a bombing as they're leaving, so they're helping with that, and then the hospital is bombed. Right. And, like, Katniss specifically says at that moment that when she was going through the hospital, she was thinking it was a bad idea just because rounding up all these people, all these different illnesses and injuries, like, they could get each other sick. Gail was looking at it as a hunter and going... All the target and prey is in one building. Right. This is the one I would kill. Like, I'd blow it up. Yeah. Yeah. He was thinking more of the military, like, strategy about it. Yeah. That is particularly disgusting to me with my sensibilities because, like, these are injured, possibly dying people. Like, they can't do anything. To harm you. And you just bomb them because they're part of this district that is... In the uprising. So, like, that's particularly bad, and Katniss definitely feels that way. Oh, yeah. Like, she's legit ready to pretty much kill anybody in the way of Snow at that point. And can you blame her? No, absolutely not. (laughs) Like, it was awful. That was probably one of my least favorite scenes to read about. Yeah. I was excited about what happened previous to that, but then, like, the thing happened, and I was like, wow, that's not great. But I do love seeing, like, all the hacks that BT pulls and oh, yeah. getting the propos put up and stuff like that. I think that was pretty funny. Yeah. But I've enjoyed it so far. I just feel like that change of pace where it's like, now we're doing mental health, now we're doing action, now we're doing this, now we're doing that. And it's just like, it's not hopping around, which I thank God, because if it did, I would probably not enjoy this at all. Mm-hmm. But the pacing of it is... It just changes a lot. And I think that is complicated for some readers, but maybe not for others. Well, something you have to realize is that that's kind of how war works. Well, it's it's not go, go, go all it's the time. It's not constant battle all the time. There's it's... there's strategy meetings and things that go on in the background that you don't ever see. Well, there's a lot of downtime where you're just completely bored. But then you have a heightened emotions and fear and action all happening at the same time. Yeah. And then at some point later, you're bored again. And, like, as far as action goes and, like, other plot elements go, I feel like it does a good job of sort of doing that wave of action, falling action over and over again. Yeah. And, like, you do have other things happening besides just the war effort and saving PETA because like they're trying to change the feel across the nation so that people will realize they should revolt but you also find out about certain people's backstories specifically Finnick which that was disgusting to read about how he He was was basically prostituted by the government yeah yeah it completely, in my opinion, changes how you look at Finnick as a character. And now you kind of understand his dark sense of humor a little bit, too, to yeah. an extent. Like, he's doing it just to stay sane. Yeah. And, like, his relationship with Annie, I don't know how far you got with them. I know that she was rescued with PETA, yeah. and so you saw that. Yeah, but that's about it. But I like them together when you see them together, and, like, he very obviously loves her. And she feels her most sane around him, and I really enjoy that. Yeah, that's something I'll probably get more of this, this week, I would imagine. Yeah, they're very cute together. Good. 
But you also see other ways that the capital or the war has affected other people. Specifically, I'm thinking of the insects and Cressida, who are their filming crew for Katniss. Because they all sort of have their own story and, like, past with the capital and with the war effort. And I'm specifically thinking of Pollux, or am I thinking of Castor? The Avox. He's the Avox. And I like that in this book, they show that an Avox is using sign language to communicate because it was something that you didn't see in books one or two, but it wasn't really necessary because they were just servants at that point. So they didn't need to communicate. Yeah. But I like that it was included in this one. And then there we go into like the scene where they have the mocking jays and they're in the field in 12 and... She's singing about She's the hanging singing tree. About the hanging tree, and Pollux is just kind of like, wow, that got really dark all of a sudden. Like, we were just playing with the birds, and now all of a sudden, like, whew. Well, he asked her to sing. Yeah. And that's what she came up with. Yeah. But I think you also really get a glimpse at Plutarch's personality at that point because he was recording it, and he's like, man, we couldn't come up with this stuff. Like, yeah. you just do these things, and it's like, no, you, she was mistreated her whole life, and that's why that song exists in her brain, because, like, it was a dark time that that yeah. song was based off of. I think it's sort of funny, because you see his game maker personality. Yeah. And it's like, that's going to make a great television spot, like, type of... And it's just, like, he's seeing, like, the broad strokes of how this impacts this for the thing, and he doesn't really necessarily care what happens for Katniss or anyone else emotionally from that happening yeah. he just cares about how that's going to affect all of Panem. and you also see some of that later on in the rest of the book where he's just very much a game maker yeah you see a lot of that in the book even already what i've read yeah i am excited to read the second half i think it will be very different for you because the pacing i think doesn't have as many of those like waves for yeah. you So I feel like it will feel more action-y and fast-paced for you for the back half. Yeah. Yeah, we're about to invade a city in two, which I think is exciting. Specifically the Nut, which is just a military facility in two. Yeah, which I hope to read about today. Yeah. And you'll see more of what I was talking about with Gail making decisions and being like that. Great. Is it, though? We'll see. But I think on that note... We will leave you guys for the week. Make sure in the meantime, you're checking out all of our social media, which should be linked in the show notes. And we will catch up to you guys next week for a sports episode. Sadly. I don't know. Maybe not. We'll see, I guess, when everything comes together for the week. But we'll catch you guys next week. Bye, guys. Bye.